Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning in the New Testament. Titus chapter 3. As we conclude the study of this short little three chapter book on the idea of keeping the faith. Now, although the phrase is not specifically used in the book of Titus, keep the faith, it is used in the letter to 2 Timothy. First and 2 Timothy and Titus are what we call the pastoral letters or epistles in the New Testament because they were written to pastors, encouraging them to keep going. So in 1 Timothy, you might sum up Paul's instructions there in that letter in this way. Fight the good fight of faith. In 2 Timothy, you might sum up Paul's teachings and admonitions in this way. Continue, or not just, not just continue, but finish the race or the course of faith. And then in Titus, you might sum up Paul's instructions like this. Keep the faith. That is, hold on to it, but not just hold on to it yourself Rather, hand it down and hand it off to others who are coming after you. The idea of keeping the faith is present throughout this short letter. Paul was called for the faith of God's chosen children in chapter 1, verse 1. Titus was Paul's spiritual son in the faith, chapter 1, verse 4. Titus was to reprove the church members on Crete so that they would be sound in the faith. Chapter 1, verse 13. Older men were to set the example of being sound in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 2. Christians who served as household slaves were to show all good faith to their masters, to point them Godward. And those who joined Paul and Titus in Christian love were labeled as those in the faith. Chapter 3, verse 15. The idea I want to share with you this morning that Paul presents in Titus chapter 3 is this. Christians keep the faith by serving the people around them. That's what I want you to do. That's what Paul wanted Titus to do, is to keep the faith by serving people around you. There are four areas of service that are pointed out in Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, And let's read those verses together, and then we'll talk about those areas of service. Titus chapter 3 and verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. The first way of service towards others in keeping the faith is to serve by intentionally encouraging people. We see that in verse 12. We serve by intentionally encouraging people. Titus was helping Paul continue kingdom work on the island of Crete. Paul, however, was not physically present during this phase of Titus's ministry. 
Throughout this letter, we read Paul's encouraging remarks to Titus to keep the faith by leading the charge and setting a godly example. But here at the epistle's end, we also get a peek at Paul's need for encouragement from his spiritual son in the faith. Titus, I'm sure, wanted Paul to be there at times on the island of Crete. But Paul also wanted Titus to be with him as he continued on his ministry journey. Paul had invested in other Christian men as well, including some that were still with him, like Artemis and Tychicus. And although this is the only mention of Artemis in all of the New Testament, Tychicus is named as one of Paul's traveling companions in Acts, Ephesians, and Colossians. Paul was most likely sending one of those two men, Artemis or Tychicus, to Crete to carry on the work for a season so that Titus could visit Paul and encourage Paul. When one of those men arrived sometime after Titus read this letter, Titus would have been reminded of the weight of the burden in Paul's spirit. Ministry work, kingdom work, is oftentimes hard. And though the work itself is not discouraging, there's times when we all get discouraged and grow weary in the work. Paul gave him the place, Nicopolis, and the time, winter, when he needed to see Titus face to face so that Titus could be of some encouragement to him. Paul encouraged Titus to make every effort to come and see him. This service that Titus would be able to offer his father in the faith would have benefited him as well. Genuine encouragement works both ways. It's good for the one who gives it and for the one who gets it. Think of uh, beneficial relationships to both parties throughout nature, right? Encouragement is not so much like a mosquito getting nourished off of our blood as it is two different creatures benefiting each other. You think of bees and flowers. Flowers produce what's necessary for bees. Bees help to pollinate the flowers so that the plants can grow and flourish. On uh, Friday, Bryson and Coy and myself went out to Williams and help some of the freshmen students move in. And I had, Bryson's got his shirt on today. Uh, it says First Baptist Church, and it's got our name on the sides. I had mine on that day, and this older gentleman came up to me and said, you must be from First Baptist Church in Walnut Ridge. And he said, I I'm guessing your name is Jake. I said, man, you're right on both counts. I don't know how you did that. I said, I'm guessing your name is Word. And there were about 20 people wearing these shirts with Word across the front, because they were from Word Church in Jonesboro. And I said, but man, I'm, just, I'm having a hard time telling you guys apart, you know, you've all got the same name. So he kind of laughed a little bit, and he introduced himself. He said, my name's Don, and he pointed to his wife who was sitting underneath the tent over there. And they were unable to help carry a bunch of the stuff inside the dorms to help people move, but what they were doing is encouraging their team that was there to help folks move in. They were also handing out just little cards about Word Church in Jonesboro, inviting the new students on campus to come and participate in worship with them at Word Church in Jonesboro. And towards the, the, the noon, when it kind of traffic kind of started to slow down, we weren't having as many cars pull in to unload and carry things in, Don came over to me and started to talk a little bit more. 
And I could tell from visiting with this man throughout the day as we were moving students in that he was a godly man. I mean, just a servant, wanted to be there to help people. And I thought, man, I want to spend some more time talking to this guy or really just listening to him so he can encourage me. And so we got a little few minutes to just stand there on the sidewalk and talk with each other. But what I found out was this. I didn't really need encouragements from him that day so much as he needed encouragement from me. And he's more than twice my age. I didn't believe it at first when he told me he was in his 80s. And as he starts to share this, and then he begins to share his life story with me and talk to me about what God had been teaching him lately. It encouraged me, but he was encouraged to see a young man walking with God and keeping the faith. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I use that as an illustration to help you understand how Titus was supposed to intentionally encourage Paul in this passage. Paul needed Titus's encouragement, his presence there with him in Nicopolis for the winter. I'm sure that Paul had reached the point in his ministry several times when it was just difficult for him to continue to go on. But both Titus and Paul would benefit from this time together. And it was time that had to be taken on purpose. Encouragement doesn't happen by accident. It happens when somebody intentionally chooses to invest their time, effort, and energy into another. The probability is high that everyone here has more than enough mosquitoes in our lives, don't we? I mean, literally and figuratively at this point in the summer. But the opportunities you do have to be a real benefit to another person through the service of intentional encouragement are also abundant, whether you realize it or not. Think about those relationships in your own sphere of life. Husbands, how greatly would your wife benefit from real encouragement through you? And how much good it would probably do you too, right? Widows, the hurt and the pain of your experience may still be very real. And you may be the only one who can empathize and encourage another lady who has experienced loss at this point in her life. You might be cheered up too through some of those tearful conversations. The teenagers, you had the fun first week back to school, right? And ensues another year of the social challenges on the adolescent ecosystem. It's a challenge in high school. I don't want to go back there. Most of you guys don't either. Maybe you need to go and sit with the loner at the lunch table, befriend the new student in your district, or spend some time listening to and praying with somebody whose family is completely dysfunctional. How does God want you to encourage people around you? Identify someone in your circle or even outside of your circle that needs a pat on the back and a hand up. Choose to encourage them. It's an intentional decision on your part, and you'll also receive a blessing. Titus did here as he obeyed Paul's word. Keep the faith through the service of intentional encouragement. And then in verse 13, Paul speaks of another area of service. Here he challenged and charged Titus to serve by diligently helping people. We serve by diligently helping people. Paul mentioned two other men by name in, in, in this verse. Zenos was a lawyer 
either perhaps a, a Roman jurist or maybe skilled in Old Testament law. And Apollos, we recognize from his name appearing in the book of Acts and, and Corinthians, a teacher in the church. These men were probably the ones who delivered the letter to Titus on Crete. Evidently, they were lacking in some matter or manner by the time they arrived. Most likely, they needed funding to head out on mission for the kingdom and perhaps distribute and disperse other letters that Paul had written. Perhaps Titus was meant to take up a collection for these two men by fundraising before he left Crete, or maybe even foot some of the cost out of his own tunic pocket as an example for the other believers there. Paul could attest to the integrity of these two men, so there was not a question of how they would steward the money. And Paul also personally knew the hardships of mobile ministry. So there was not a doubt to the service that Titus could provide in aiding them on their journey. Titus himself may have been a benefactor of such service at some point in his laboring with Paul. He was presented with the opportunity to diligently help these two brothers in Christ. Diligence implies thoroughness, completeness, fullness. Not just scratching the surface need, but getting down deep to pinpoint the pressures that these people faced. Help simply means aid. Paul did not expect Titus to do their work for them, but he did call Titus to make sure they had the resources to fulfill the ministry responsibilities they had taken on. I've heard a former Southern Baptist pastor uh, whose name is Johnny Hunt say this several times. We are never more like Jesus than when we give. And he would ask people to give. Money, time, talents, energy, efforts, even themselves. Because Jesus gave. And perhaps you've heard the expression before, to give until it hurts. But I find that's usually about the time that our giving begins to help. The idea of diligently helping others is not that I give until it hurts me, but I give until it helps them above and beyond. Helping others is not a selfish endeavor, it's a selfless one. It takes intentional action on our part to actually aid others, and helping others entails personal sacrifice on our behalf. Most people really do want to help others in some fashion. But they may not want to diligently help them because that requires more time, involvement, and investment than they're willing to give. And if we're all honest, we have points in our lives when that starts to be us, right? We say things like, God, I'll help, but I will not go to Africa and be a missionary the rest of my life. I don't want to do that. God, I will help, but Lord, I do not want to work with children in Awana. God, I will help, but I don't want to go to the nursing home and visit with the older folks. God, I'll help, but yeah, I don't want to stop on the side of the road and talk to that cardboard Sharpie sign guy. That's not in my ballpark. But when we diligently help others, we are willing not just to do 
what's difficult for us, but what's beneficial for them. I'm going to share with you a story that many of you probably come across by this point. It occurred back in January of 2011. A man with few possessions other than a handwritten sign he clutched as cars whizzed by, whose name was Ted Williams, not the baseball player, but Ted Williams stood in the cold at a busy intersection in Columbus, Ohio, just hoping for a miracle to occur. His sign said this, I have a God-given gift of voice. I'm an ex-radio announcer who has fallen on hard times. Please, any help will be gratefully appreciated. Thank you and God bless. Happy holidays. The former radio announcer was trying to piece his life back together after it was ravaged by drugs and alcohol, but he didn't know where to start. And so he just wrote this sign and stood on the side of the road. The news reporter who stopped worked, for, worked in Columbus, and they made a video of this man talking so you could hear how majestic his voice was. I mean, this, I'm sorry, but it, I, I think I can say this. It was richer than Dr. Bob McGee's voice. You, in, until you've seen this YouTube video, you've never heard anything like it. I mean, it's like if this guy had been around, James Earl Jones would not have done the voice of Darth Vader. It would have been Ted Williams. His dream of getting off the streets and back in front of a microphone unexpectedly came true when this reporter noticed his sign, which pleaded for help and boasted about Williams' God-given gift of voice. The dispatch posted a video of Williams' attention-grabbing baritone, and overnight he went viral. He got a haircut and a shave and offers for big-time work, including voicing commercials for Kraft macaroni and cheese, came in. Five years after that time, the man with the golden voice had another dream he wanted to fulfill, to give back to the homeless and the community where he once languished. So he started doing something small, doling out socks. And the reporter who originally recorded this video did a follow-up story on him, and here's how it reads. A lot of homeless people, if they were like me, went to jail a lot. And there's nothing worse than being incarcerated and not having socks, let alone being bothered by the elements, the cold weather and all. So I go out and give packages of socks. Williams, 58, who was behind bars dozens of times before cleaning up his life, said. But he has even bigger aspirations. I want to open a, a homeless laundromat, he said. A lot of times homeless people discard clothes or they walk down the street with millions of clothes and they're never in the most presentable shape. He envisions a laundromat where volunteer attendants wash and dry homeless people's clothes so they have a shot at getting back to work like he did. His surprise road to fame has had its bumps. He celebrated four years sobriety a couple months ago, and this is a report from 2015. Williams is, is still going, by the way. But his path to getting clean was punctuated by depression, failed attempts at rehab, and bad business relationships. Nonetheless, Williams landed a book deal, and a month ago, Pepsi debuted a new ad voiced by Williams, which would run now and during the Super Bowl. In his spare times, Williams gives motivational speeches all around the country. I'm having the time of my life, he said. He particularly enjoys speaking to children. 
When, they, when I make it on the scene, it's like, oh man, it's the homeless guy with the voice on the video that we saw. He even launched an independent bid for president at one point in 2015. But he said he'd stop because he wanted to focus on other things. He wanted to inspire and encourage. Faith has kept him away from his old lifestyle, he said. With a rap sheet that extends for pages, William's first time in prison was when he was 21 after he was caught stealing from his father. He often turns to religion to keep him strong. I was focusing on my own personal relationship with God when I was homeless, he said. I didn't think of anything but getting, I didn't think of anything like getting a blessing of this magnitude. He still lives in Columbus, only now with a home to call his own. I just kind of wonder, not so much what Ted Williams will do in the future now, but what Ted Williams' future would have been like if that lady wouldn't stopped on the side of the road and said, hey, let's try to give this guy a chance. Let's help him out. And she diligently did so. Keep the faith through the service of diligent help. Keep the faith through the service of diligent help. And then in verse 14, we're presented with the final two areas of service. The first is service by engaging in good deeds for people. We serve by engaging in good deeds for people. This phrase in verse 14, to engage in good deeds, is repeated from verse 8 above. There, Paul wrote, This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. In this command, verse 14, however, Titus is not the only one charged to do good deeds. The Christians on Crete are challenged to learn how to engage in good deeds. Learning to do good for others is indeed a challenge because at times the payoff of doing good for and towards others is not going to receive much attention or notoriety. Not everybody that we help is going to be a golden voice. Sometimes the good that we do goes unnoticed because we may not witness a tangible evidence of what we've done. I'm sure that this was the case for some of those on Crete that the Christians were helping. After all, Paul called the, these, these uh, citizens on Crete in Titus 1.12 perpetual liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So I'm sure that when some of these Christians tried to help these folks, it didn't always work out like they dreamed it would. They might not have always responded to the good deeds of Christian citizens on their island with immediate or long-lasting life changed. When we do good deeds, we might not get a thank you from those we've helped or even a way to go from others who witnessed our works. But we do know that God is glorified. And so even though you guys weren't, see, weren't there Friday to see Coy carry in like 28 refrigerators on his back, he served those students and God was glorified. Jesus himself taught in Matthew 5.16 that Bryson shared earlier in the children's sermon, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul did not command Titus to change the world by doing good deeds 
but simply to do them. The fuel for good deeds is love for God with all of one's heart, soul, mind, and strength, and selfless love for one's neighbor. The bottom line in engaging in good works is that we don't do good so that we can get noticed. We do good so that God gets glory. You cannot be anybody's Savior, but you can and should point them to the Savior. To engage in good deeds means to devote yourself to doing what is good, even when what is good may not be what is glamorous. The best example I could think of for serving by engaging in good deeds for people is one I've witnessed numerous times uh, over these past five years being your pastor, and even before that, is care for family members in nursing homes. A lot of times, children or nieces or grandchildren will take care of elderly folks out there in ways that nobody else ever sees or pays attention to. Everyday visits, listening to repeated stories multiple times, answering the same question, providing emotional stability, feeding them breakfast and lunch, literally feeding them, sitting with them for hours on end so that they don't feel alone even when there's nothing to talk about or they can't remember who you are, making hard decisions about medications, therapy, and care, even helping to change diapers and give baths. Those are good deeds, and the Father is glorified by each and every one of them. But for you in your life, what good work does God want you to engage in that may not be that glamorous? Perhaps you need to visit some folks in the nursing home, assist a single mom struggling to make ends meet, clean up a widow's yard and her flower beds, or tutor a child who's having difficulty with math homework. Know that God sees the decisions you make and the choices that you do not make when it comes to doing good deeds. Keep the faith through the service of engaging in good deeds for people. And then at the end of verse 14, Paul presents that last area of service. We serve by meeting pressing needs for people. Not just doing random good deeds, but meeting people at a pressure point. Serve by meeting pressing needs for people. The service of meeting pressing needs could also be expressed as providing for daily necessities. This work of, of meeting needs helps one to be fruitful for the kingdom and productive in society. The adverse of not meeting pressing needs is fruitlessness and unproductivity. Both those adjectives are used to describe purposelessness and worthlessness. And in Christ, we have purpose and worth. That's why we serve by meeting pressing needs for others. You'll notice that a Christian life is not just a life that is lived to fulfill one's own dreams and desires, but a life that is spent meeting basic daily needs for others. I would dare say that many a Christian life is spent in unfruitful toil and labor because many a Christian life is not about service for the pressing needs of other people around us. When you come nearer to the end of your lifespan, will you experience feelings of reward for faithful service? or regret over frivolousness and selfishness. Some of you simply need to choose not to turn a blind eye to the pressing needs of other people around you anymore. 
whether those needs are physical, emotional, financial, or spiritual, they are real and they are pressing. If people matter to God, and they do, then what could be more pressing on your life than the real needs of those around you? Maybe you need to stock some food on the shelves of the little free pantry out there in the parking lot to ensure that somebody gets to eat tomorrow. Maybe you need to reach out to the man who's so depressed that he doesn't think he has any more friends and he's been contemplating suicide and nobody else knows it. Or perhaps all of the bills have mounted for somebody and the jobs have not been easy to find and you just need to bless somebody with a one-time gift so that they can keep their air conditioning turned on for their kids throughout the rest of the hot summer days. And yes, there's even real spiritual pressing needs. The greatest pressing spiritual need in the heart of every person is for salvation from sin by God's grace. Maybe you've just heard me talk about who's your one so much that you're like, Jake, I'll listen to you again when you move on. But at least, and even at best, a pressing need that you can meet for a friend or a grandson or a co-worker is to choose to pray for them and invite them to church and share the gospel with them so that they can come to know Christ. After all, Jesus himself is the epitome of serving by meeting pressing needs. When we could not save ourselves because of sin, He came down to rescue us from sin and death and hell by dying for our sins. Three days later, He rose from His grave never to die again, and He promises forgiveness of sins and eternal life to any and all who will call on His name in faith and surrender. Maybe you just need to identify one. We keep the faith through the service of meeting pressing needs for people. If we don't keep the faith, the only other option is that we lose it. And I don't think that's how God intends for any of us to live the Christian life. He wants us to hold on to what we've believed in and to hand it off to others. Keep the faith by serving the people around you. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? In just a moment, you're going to hear a song played. And as the praise team leads us in this song, I just want to invite you to respond to God as He's spoken to your heart this morning. Maybe there's an area of service in which you've not been faithful as a Christian. Maybe you need to intentionally encourage somebody around you. Maybe you need to diligently help somebody around you. Maybe you just need to start engaging in good deeds or even meet a pressing need that's on your heart right now. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me or if I can pray for you, I'd love to do so. This altar is open if you just need to come and spend some time in prayer to the Lord. As God calls you today, how will you respond to Him?